Welcome to The Underground Investor, and today is our first episode. We are going to discuss economic indicators and how it relates to the stock market and what you can do about it. So what's up, Justin? What have you been reading about so far? Yeah, so I was reading about different economic indicators last week, and I stumbled upon something called the lipstick indicator. Have you heard of it? No, I haven't. Okay, so the lipstick indicator was a term coined by Leonard Lauder, who's chairman of um, SBA Lauder. And he noticed that sales of lipstick doubled in 2001 following the tech bubble burst. Yeah. And there have been subsequent studies, including one in the Journal of Psychology and Social, including one in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, that during a recession or other times of economic hardship, sales of lipstick actually increase while other like well, sales of other discretionary goods uh, decrease. So I guess the question is, why is that? Yeah, well, what's going on? Are people just kind of like bored of their money or so, they have money to spend? Okay, yeah, so great question. So uh, during, during lean times, you know, people don't have enough money to buy luxury items. Um, and that's why you know you'll see sales of discretionary goods go down across the board during a recession. But people still want to feel good and uh, you know um, look look good. So uh, something such as lipstick. Sorry, but the whatever we can edit this. You know, so du- during lean times, you know, people don't have enough money to buy discretionary items, but they still want to you know feel good and feel emotionally tethered to prosperous times. Um, So they buy inexpensive, relatively inexpensive indulgences like lipstick. You know, this can extend to other beauty products. For instance, uh, in a good time, a girl would buy like a high-end purse, you know, to feel good. You know, blueberry, I mean, Burberry or Gucci. But then during like a recession, a girl who wants to feel good, doesn't have the same uh, discretionary income to buy something that costs $1,000. And so therefore they are spending those luxurious or that discretionary good on uh, items that are less expensive, but still, but within that category, they're like the high end items of those products. I see. Right, like for yeah. example, I might I got it. buy yeah, I got it. Uh, an energy drink it. for a dollar, and then I buy a monster drink for two dollars. I got it. Okay, I, I ask the question again, and I'll answer you. So during during recessions, yeah. uh, what are people doing with their income to substitute for like luxury goods? Are they completely replacing uh, like like high end bags for? an alternative uh, right. category, such as like a high-end lipstick that's just more of like price affordability just kind of goes down, but it's right. still a luxury good. Right, so obviously during a recession, like uh, a lot of the brands that you would normally buy, like uh, Starbucks or like, um, like a, you know, like you said, a high-end bag, like uh, Louis Vuitton, um, People kind of take take a take a step back and and you know brew their own brew their own coffee for for example, um, but the thing about um, lipstick is that it's 
a somewhat durable luxury item. So it's different like other indulgences like premium coffee, which carries a one-time use. And lipstick is also relatively inexpensive. It's like 30 bucks for like, like a decently good high-end brand from um, um, Estee Lauder. Yeah. And so you can use it like up to a year, multiple times, you know, multiple times a week. So you're getting a, you get a good bang for your buck. You think people are replacing other kind of like low end goods within those categories for other high end items that are relatively affordable, but still consider luxury. Uh, like what's, what's an example? Uh, we can take coffee for example. Um, let's say the average person who used to uh, brew their own coffee decides mm. that they want to buy like an exotic coffee brand or instead of making dinner at home, they decided they're going to treat themselves out for, you know, or carry out for sure. dinner, for example. Sure. Yeah. But that that's not uh, sustainable, right? Because if it costs like, you know, 10 or $15 for takeout or to go to a restaurant, as opposed to like $5 to make your own meal, eventually you're going to, you know, spend it beyond your budget. So you're saying it has to be like a durable good that yeah. has like an extended amount of like usage in it. Extended amount of usage and, you know, it makes you look good and therefore makes you feel good. So it could be what else could probably be in this category, like toothpaste or saws. Are there any other um, sorts other, of other like other products? beauty other beauty products like uh, like a like a scarf hair gel hair gel is a good one yeah a scarf face cream hair gel uh, like um, a headband there's also the jobless claims if there's like consistent jobless claims that are trending higher over time that's a mm-hmm. bad sign but if you know there's suddenly like a temporary surge in jobless claim uh there could be a big company like gm or ford that laid off a hundred thousand people so that would be a one-time thing that's not a recurring thing in our economy mm. so, so so jobless claims are a leading indicator but the unemployment rate is a lagging indicator yes so can we go over the differences between them <clears throat> yeah so Unemployment is when people are trying to get jobs and they con- and they continuously cannot get jobs, all right? Um, right? It's lagging because it's confirming history. It's just not a couple of industries that are affected. If those same people were to file a claim six months ago and they still can't uh, find a job, it means there's something structurally wrong with the entire economy. There's a little white lie in the mm-hmm. unemployment data. Okay. If I'm unemployed and I stop looking for a job, the government will uh, remove me from the unemployment data. So unemployment data in a bad time could actually be higher than what it is reported because people are simply discouraged by the, the job market. So do you think people are discouraged right now? Not yet. Um, I have a friend that has been furloughed by the hospitality uh, company and it's only been a month and a lot of these companies are reporting that once 
the economy recovers, they will rehire as many people uh, based on their needs. And of course, you know, those needs will be less than what they previously needed uh, since there will be a slowdown. By that time, my friend is still looking for a job. You know, that's when people will get discouraged and the data might not actually represent the unemployment rate. Yeah. So are you ready for this? Because this is kind of hard to believe. It took almost two years back in 2008, 2009 for jobless claims to hit 10 million people. We reached that same number in two weeks. The U.S. started quarantine in mid-March. We hit that number by April 1st. So just to provide like an update, weekly jobless claims hit 5 million for the week ending April 11th, which increased the total to over 22 million people in the middle of April. Since, tw- since 2009, the U.S. economy has added 22 million jobs. So in one month, from mid-March to mid-April, we have officially erased 10 years of job growth, which is like so hard to believe. Like, has there ever been a time when 20 million people suddenly all found themselves out of a job? So it's very hard to get unemployment benefits right now. You know, you have 20 million people all trying at the same time. There's a backlog. Um, it's a big question mark about how we're going to get through the next three to six months. It's going to be very interesting to see how these unemployment numbers will be reported. Because if there's a strange drop off in the unemployment numbers, it doesn't mean people were hired, but Mm -hmm. they were discouraged and stopped looking for jobs or filing the claims. Yeah, right. And initial jobless claims as a leading indicator are probably very useful during this particular time. Yes, in this particular time. Right, because you have about, as of you know, late April, 30 million people unemployed right now, and everybody, everybody is saying that this will lead to a um, recession. We'll probably see two quarters of negative GDP growth. Okay, so because you have 20 million people unemployed right now, and everyone knows this, this will lead to a recession. Yeah, um, we'll probably see like two quarters of negative GDP growth then. Yeah, hopefully the second quarter will be close to flat. If we recover appropriately, not all the leading indicators are considered equal. You have jobless claims and manufacturing orders, which are a little bit more accurate than the stock prices. If we recover appropriately, not all leading indicators are considered equal. You have mm-hmm. jobless claims and manufacturing orders, which are a little bit more accurate than stock price. Mm-hmm. Manufacturing orders are an interesting one. Can you talk about it? Yeah, it's, it's companies putting in orders for industrial machines or uh, equipment. I'm more on like the corporate side. Yeah, more on the corporate side. So you have companies in real time shutting down operations quickly more quickly than economic data can keep up with. And so what are the more recent numbers? Uh, the Philadelphia Fed, Fed Manufacturing Index, which measures, sorry. So, you know, according to the most recent numbers, the Philadelphia Fed Manufacturing Index, which measures regional manufacturing growth, fell to minus 56.6 for the month of April, which is below 2008 levels. This means that about 50%, 
This means that about 56% of manufacturing firms are contracting. So, so they're cutting spending. And then the index for new orders fell to about minus 71, which is its lowest reading ever. This means that about 71% of manufacturing firms have just cut spending on, on new orders. This number, when it does go back to positive in a few months, will be inflated as well mm -hmm. because the entire airline industry is on a pause right now, Boeing as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, companies that expect to earn less will cut their orders. And no, that doesn't make sense in this line. Okay, you have two lines back to back. All right, let me restart. This, okay. <clears throat> this number, when it goes back to positive in a few months, will be inflated as well because the entire airline industry is on a pause right now. Boeing as well. Well, besides the numbers, is there going to be a different way to use these indicators in the economy? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, and some some indicators are more useful than others. I think one of the least useful indicators is stock prices. Yeah, I agree. Uh, everything is trending down. Jobless claims and manufacturing spending have hit historically bad numbers, except stock prices. The stock market doesn't care. The Dow posts the best two-week performance since like 1930s. It's like a V-shaped uh, curve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the largest companies right now are, are, are tech giants. Uh, the trillion. Yeah. So the, yeah, it's V-shaped curve, right? Um, maybe one explanation for that is that the largest companies right now are tech giants, you know, the trillion dollar club and uh, including, and then, you know, you have multi-billion dollar companies such as Netflix. You know, these are the ones that are making up the majority of the S&P 500 because it's a market cap weighted index. So when those companies like Netflix, or Amazon or Google, or Microsoft increase in value, it, it kind of drags the rest of the index along with them, even if smaller companies are struggling. Yeah, because of market cap size, that's a good point. Yeah, so exactly. So on a deeper level, the market may not be recovering as well as we think, um, as the recovery is carried by a few giant companies. It, based on how the market has recovered, uh, they believe the economy will go back to normal in a year. Yeah. Um, according to the textbook definition, yeah, yeah. according to the textbook definition of a leading indicator, sorry, according to the, according to, according to, you know, any, any economic textbook, stock prices are considered a leading indicator because they reflect investor sentiment about where the economy is headed. So, Earlier, you, you mentioned a V-shaped curve, and do you want to explain what that means? Yeah, in the economies, you have recovery periods. You have the V, U, and then the L. If you literally think about what a V looks like, it goes from a point, from, from down from a point, and it shoots mm -hmm. back up. Mm -hmm. It's a quick dip, but also a very quick recovery. When you see a U recovery, think about how a U looks like. It's a, mm -hmm. a bigger loop and a bigger drop. So it's like a V, but it has a longer recovery shape to it. 
And then when you are looking at an L curve, it just goes all the way down to a low point and it stays flat. Mm. So a U is like a gradual decline and gradual recovery. And an yeah. L is kind of like, not you're not really doing anything. Right. You just go all the way down yeah, and you you're just kind of stay, you're stuck there for a long period of time. And mm. Yeah. So what happened during the Great Depression? Yeah. People in the Great Depression were taking out mortgages to buy stocks. When stock prices dropped, people couldn't pay their houses and they ran to the bank and the bank didn't have the money. And that's why we have the FDIC now to guarantee the money that you put in the bank is there for you. You had an L recovery of about two to three years, and then you could say it turned into a U recovery later. Mm -hmm. All right. So to bring it back to today's market, we're seeing a V-shaped curve in the stock market right now. Um, and I think I heard recently that JP Morgan is saying we might be in a V-shaped um, economic recovery. Yeah, this is interesting because the stock market is a leading indicator, but it's misleading now in a sense. We're not even in a recession and it's already going up. We have one leading indicator that's contradicting five other indicators. These other five pieces fit in a puzzle, but this piece doesn't attach itself. Is this a different perspective or does this piece not belong to this picture? And you can tell just by the picture you're putting together that the economy is headed towards a recession. Hmm. Yeah, what's happening now is that everything's happening so quick. So it's a little easier to use these kind of economic data as a predictive tool than it has been in the past. What do you say? Right. Because you can get all the data points immediately. Right. It's taking weeks right now to get to the same numbers, such as like the jobless claims that it took years to get to in, in, 20, in, 20, you know, in 2008. So everything's happening quicker. The information is, is getting to you faster than it's ever been. Right. So different indicators are more powerful in different economic environments that mm. pertain to them. That's a really good point. For example, if you go back to 2008, most of these indicators we're talking about, leading, lagging, and coincident, the best indicator to use would be a leading indicator, housing starts. Mm. We start to see houses not being sold and prices start starting to drop, that's a sign of a upcoming recession. It's a more powerful tool in 2008 than it is in the COVID economy. So context matters. Yeah, context matters a lot in how you decide how to use these indicators. If you look at a coincident indicators, such as personal income or sales, it's also down. Hmm. So, so this is really interesting. Retail sales are historically a coincident indicator because they're based off personal income. Personal income is a coincident indicator because as the economy is strong and companies are earning more, they'll pay their employees more in wages and vice versa. But I think for the first time, we're seeing retail sales being used potentially as a very good leading indicator. It's changing this economy in this context. Yeah, and to understand how, it's important to look at why indicators are being used the way that they're used. So we can apply the data appropriately. 
Uh, and retail sales are a great example of this. So if you open up any economic textbook, they'll tell you in very black and white terms that retail sales is a coincident indicator. People out of work, you know, we've talked, you know, we just mentioned this, people out of work have less personal income, they focus their spending on essential items and they cut back on discretionary goods. But now we're seeing discretionary spending plunge so suddenly and so quickly, way before any recession has actually mm -hmm. happened. Yeah, and, and we just talked about this. So people out of work have less personal income. They focus their spending on essential items and cut back on discretionary goods. They cut back on discretionary goods. But what we're seeing now in today's economy is discretionary spending, you know, drops so suddenly and so quickly, it's happening before any recession has actually been, you know, um, reported. So in March, retail sales dropped almost 9%, which is a record decline. And just because a textbook says retail sales is a coincidence, this indicator doesn't mean it always works that way. Um, I feel like right now in the COVID economy, retail sales are a leading indicator, not a coincident one. Just because a textbook says retail sales is a coincident indicator doesn't mean it always works that way. You know, in today's COVID economy, <clears throat> it seems that retail sales are a leading indicator because they're essentially predicting what's what is definitely going to happen in a few months, which is that we're going to enter a recession. And, and as we mentioned earlier, people out of work have less personal income. Uh, they focus their spending on essential items and cut back on discretionary goods. But what we're seeing right now is, sorry, but you know, in this last month, mm -hmm. we've seen huge, huge cutbacks on discretionary spending, and it's happened so suddenly and so severely. It's it, that 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 it's taking place way before any recession has actually been um, reported. You know, in March, for example, retail sales dropped almost nine percent, which is a, a historically large decline. Uh, just because of tax. In March, you know, in March, for example, retail sales dropped almost nine percent, which is a record decline. And just because a textbook says, you know, retail sales is a coincident indicator, doesn't mean it always works that way, right? Because in today's mm -hmm. COVID economy, right. And just because a textbook says retail sales is a coincident indicator, doesn't mean it always works that way, right? And in today's COVID economy, retail sales are the leading indicator, not a coincident one, because because they can be used as a predictive tool to predict what is definitely going to happen, which is that we will enter a recession. Yeah, I agree. It's not an exact science. And this is due to the fact that retail sales have become a function of circumstance more so than a function of personal income. Mm -hmm. you know, and there's a couple of parts to this um, um, statistic. One is that one is personal income, as I mentioned, um, but what really drove this historical drop in sales were two factors. You know, one is practical and one is psychological. Uh, the first, the practical one, is that people have less, less access to buying discretionary goods. Uh, they can't go to stores. And so many distribution systems are, are now being used for essential goods, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and the, sec the second reason, the psychological one, is that people are planning as if this virus will last indefinitely because we really don't know how long this is going to last. And the longer it lasts, the more people will find themselves out of work. So they're financially um, 
um, preparing for that. You know, it, it's it's a really good example of how you can't textbook economic data as much as you, you'd like to. Yeah, it's very important not to be dependent on one or two indicators, but use a variety of indicators to show it's trending towards the same conclusion. You can't have multiple indicators contradicting each other. It's also right, and it's also important to put everything in in its context. You know, different from the recession ten years ago. Like I. I still can't believe jobless claims increased the same in two weeks as it did in two years, right? That's that's absurd. What we're looking at right now is a totally unique economic landscape. Well, if we're looking for recovery in a COVID economy, what indicators should we be looking for? Yeah, that's kind of the million dollar question. Um, in this context, these indicators will be dependent less on the economy, I think, and, and dependent more so on social and health restrictions, you know, when will it be safe to spend? Any, mm-hmm. uh, any, any data point that shows people are comfortable being in public spaces will be the key metric. So, so like restaurant sales, um, air travel. Concerts. Yeah, and yeah, data demonstrating people are spending in public will probably be the most powerful recover, recovery indicator because it shows A, fears of the virus is over, and B, that people have jobs and income to spend on these things. You can also look at other things that are interesting. There's a net charge off for credit cards that's published, and it will show all the major credit card companies like JP Morgan, Capital One, Bank of America, and Discover, where our average net write-off is about 2 to 4%. And net charge-offs are what credit card companies report when customers aren't paying their credit card uh, bills. So if it's 2% and the customer, so for example, if it's a 2% write-off and the customer Mm -hmm. has to pay $100, Mm -hmm. the credit card company will write off $2. So the higher the write-offs, the worse it is. A 100% net charge-off would mean no one is paying for anything. Hmm. That could be a good indicator, too. So when you see these numbers settle down and not increasing, there's a strong coincident indicator of a recovery because people can afford to pay off their debts. And there's other net charge-offs that you can look at, like automobile companies or corporate debts. These are other confirmation tools that an investor can utilize to see how the economy is recovering. So in terms of leading indicators for this economy, uh, which ones would be good to look at? You know, maybe manufacturing orders. I don't know if, sorry. Hmm. So in terms of leading indicators for this economy, uh, which ones would be more relevant? Maybe manufacturing orders. I, I don't know if housing starts are a good one. Yeah, I agree. They're not all relevant, but what would be relevant is housing debt. If it's increasing, that's a bad sign. I don't, I don't know if housing starts are a good one. Yeah, I agree. Um, they're not relevant, but what would be relevant is housing debt. Mm-hmm. If it's increasing, that's a bad sign. And any debt that investors are looking at, you want to make sure the net charge-off rate isn't gradually increasing. And maybe 
there is an unconventional way to look at this recovery. I read this book called Small Data by Martin Lindstrom, and it talks about how you can look at micro data trends to tell you what's going on. He's like the Steve Jobs of marketing. He wrote the book Biology. It talks about why people buy things. And not to get too in-depth to what his book was about, there was this girl that bought things from Target. She was a regular customer. And one day, Target starts sending her random coupons for diapers and baby formula. Her dad was checking the mailbox, and he's like, what the hell is Target sending my teenage daughter coupons for babies? It turns out his daughter was pregnant. And how did Target figure this out? Target uses data analytics to find buying patterns in customers' behavior. And his daughter was buying things that pregnant women usually buy. So what's interesting about this story is that outside of conventional indicators that we have learned in school or in textbooks, you can always look around you and find small out-of-the-box indicators that show a good proxy for what's going on. There are always other data points that are more relevant in certain times or haven't been discovered yet, such as the lipstick indicator. People weren't thinking about the lipstick sales or the price of a Big Mac to observe economic events. So there are other indicators out there that haven't been discovered yet. If you see the context makes sense to you, dig in a little bit more and figure out the puzzle. And it should lead to better economic data points that give you an investment edge over someone else who just utilize textbook data points. In order to be a better investor, you have to be intellectually curious, understand what story the data is trying to tell you. Yeah, so we don't have to know everything, right? Don't expect us to know more than a hedge fund. But I think as long as we're in tune with the markets and willing to look at things differently, we can come up with our own personal edge. So, so let me ask you this question. So which unconventional data points make sense to look at in this economy? You know, like what is the lipstick indicator of 2020? Maybe the Disney Plus or Netflix indicator? It seems like the deeper we're in this recession, the more people are, are downloading Netflix. Well, everyone already has Netflix. Yeah, no, I'm just brainstorming here. Um, I'm just saying because like streaming service subscriptions are higher now because there's nothing else to do and people want to be distracted and entertained. You know, I th maybe as we start to end the quarantine, people will cut subscriptions. How about gaming? The amount of time we'll play video games will go down a lot because we'll be doing other things with our time and money because they're out doing stuff outside and physically moving our bodies. I think this is causing us to think about what's most important. You know, we could be seeing the start of a different way of life. What's more important to you right now that has changed? Um, I think like being stuck at home, I feel like minimalism is becoming more important to me. I think trends that accurately reflect how we interact with the world will become more important indicators for measuring the economy. Do you have other un unconventional indicators before we wrap this up? Oh, people are drinking more, smoking more, 
watching more TV. Well, that's because everyone's stuck at home. <laughs> right. Well, that's the context of the economy, right? Now, once we start to recover, all those things will go down. Um, people start to buy less wine. Yeah, I remember reading an article that talked about the consumption of beer increases during a recession and the consumption of wine and liquor goes down. In a recession? Yeah, people buy more beer. It's interesting. Well, it's probably more of a function of the alcohol market at that time, right? Yes. Because like, you know, nowadays beer is less in vogue and wine is cheaper than, than it used to be. Wine and hard seltzer has essentially replaced beer. Yeah, I don't remember the last time I drank beer. Yeah, I don't really drink beer that much anymore, but I, I drink wine. Yeah, uh, me too. People are indulging in luxuries that makes them feel good. Maybe wine would be the next lipstick indicator because of our generation. Um, yeah, it's interesting because you have these habits people starting to form, but will they be broken once quarantine is over? That's a good question. Let's talk about it next week when we go over consumer trends and how they transform in this economy. This is a good spot to end it. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Feel free to check us out, <clears throat> our podcast and Twitter at Underground Investor, and submit your question through Twitter. Thanks again. Stay healthy. Until next time.